guys good all right okay, okay i'm nervous you, you want to do this? Done this before so. <laughs> no worries uh you want to do the thing where we count to three and we clap okay, okay. what yeah. why why i don't know something people so do in, to like think up yeah i don't know i don't know if it helps or not but then we're gonna do that okay okay ready one two one, three two, clap three Oh, that was oh, awful. That was terrible. Okay, okay, okay. Let's try now again. You that, now you gotta put that inside the, the recording. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll be bloopers. Right. Okay, That's let's permanent. try it. Let's try it again. Okay, ready? One, two, two three. Three. Dude, Bowie, are you okay, okay bro? <laughs> bro. <laughs> okay, we're not spending the entire time just clapping here. <laughs> we're gonna get this right. Hello and welcome to the Super High Yoda Anesthesia Podcast, the second edition. This is your host, Scott, the Anesthesia Resident. Well, thanks for tuning in for the first episode of the Super High Yoda Anesthesia Second Edition Podcast. We have a special show for you today. Uh, the first one uh, being the interview of my esteemed colleagues, Drs. Boe Su and Kenneth Wynn. Uh, we are both, or we're all uh, CA1s and getting started in our anesthesia journey. Uh, with that said, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Yeah, of course. Um, so we'll kind of just start off with uh, some introductions. Um, so uh, let's start with telling us uh, where you're from, a fun fact by yourself, and uh, why did you choose anesthesia? Um, to kind of start, start us off, I'll, I'll just start. Um, so for me, I'm uh, from Garden Grove, California. Uh, fun fact about myself is I like to do uh, archery uh, in my uh, spare time if I do have time in residency. And uh, the reason why I chose anesthesia is because I really enjoyed the procedural aspects of the, the specialty, and I just found the science behind it very interesting. So it was a good fit for me. Nice. I still got to do some archery with you, Scott. Oh, yeah, for sure. One day, one day. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. All right, Bowie. Since, um, uh, yeah, why don't you share? Sure. Uh, sure. So I'm Bowie uh, from Pleasanton, California, or Canada, depending on how far back we're going. Um, fun fact about myself is uh, I'm a big outdoor person, so I do a lot of climbing, camping, just walking around outside. <laughs> Um, and I chose anesthesia, uh, kind of similarly, um, I like working with my hands a lot, doing a lot of procedures and all that. And I was actually originally EM, but anesthesia seemed to be the more concentrated and purified form of it. So that's why I'm here. Yeah. All right. Um, you know, again, my name is Kenny. I am from upstate New York, specifically Rochester, New York about an hour away from Buffalo. Um, a fun fact about myself is that I have had a multitude of jobs, including being a barber. Um, and I chose anesthesia because uh, I really like dealing with all patient populations, uh, anywhere between kids, PDF, you know, uh, OB-GYN patients, adult males, females. And I just thought that anesthesia outside of you know, other than emergency medicine, also allowed me to do that. 
uh, and deal with all these patient populations. And uh, again, working with my hands, as the others have said. Dude, no wonder you're so good at cutting your hair, Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like for, uh, for our audience here, Kenny is basically our uh, residency official barber. <laughs> he, he cuts uh, like quite a cut. Yeah, exactly. I got my cut from him like a week ago. Yeah, I did my you know my fellowship in high fades and uh, undercuts. <laughs> Perfect. We're gonna in have fades. to. <laughs> we're gonna have to do an episode on that uh, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so gentlemen, thank you for sharing that um, uh, information by yourself. We're gonna go ahead and get started here. So the first question we're going to kind of get through is, what was your first solo case, and how did you feel going into it? Bowie, yeah, I don't, I really don't actually remember what my. I was going to look through my case logs, but I totally forgot. Um, uh, well, we were so in the background, we were kind of paired up for at least a week or two when we first started C one year with another. Um, senior, another intern together in the OR. Um, so by the time we had our first solo solo case, it was it didn't feel too terrible. Um, it was probably some kind of like lap coli or something like that. But I think I remember feeling nervous, but still kind of confident enough in myself to kind of figure out my own flow and what I wanted to do throughout the case. Uh, for me, I th- Honestly, I think I actually, my first case was an ENT case, which was more freakier than ever that you had to share the airway with um, another specialty. And uh, as we all know from anesthesia, you know, ENT is very much in our space when we're intubating. Um, So that kind of put on the nerves a little bit. And um, I think, you know, the month that we had during in- the three months of intern year helped with that nervousness. But uh, I think it really set in when everything was all set up and done. And my attending was like, are you good? And then walked out <laughs> or like kind of stayed really properly. <laughs> so that was how I felt my first day. And it was I don't think it was a sick patient either. It was I think it was just an outpatient EMT case. So um you know it was it was it uh, those factors kind of helped with all of that yeah that was my first case that's where i definitely relate with you when the the first time the attending says you're okay and starts leaving he's like no wait come back please <laughs> <laughs> are you sure are you yeah, good that all right? it's like are you, you sure you're gonna leave me in here by myself <laughs> that is, so is your funny. license gonna be okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah um for me um mine i remember it was uh a, a lap coley actually so then uh, as Bowie said, we were initially supposed to be paired up with like a senior resident or another intern, you know, trying to ease us into the process. Um, I was originally supposed to do like a Nora case and down in uh, IR, but then one of the CRNAs uh, called in sick. So then there was like a room without an anesthesia provider. And then next thing I knew, got a phone call. It's like, hey, you're running this case now. I'm like, oh, oh no, please. <laughs> so then like, like, I was like, oh, I didn't set up the room or anything. And um, our um, APD, Dr. Pass, is like, don't worry, I'll, I'll help you set up. And I was like, 
oh, okay. And we're just going back. We're setting up, bringing the patient back. I didn't know anything about the patient. I was just like looking up the chart while I'm like prepping like syringes and whatnot. It's like, oh, oh, thank God, previously healthy. Okay, cool, sweet. <laughs> so, then, so then I think, um, like, you know, when we got started, I f- actually uh, felt comfortable because, like, during our intern year, we did a lot of that stuff. Um, but the problem was, we didn't get that much exposure to end the case. So I was like, so yeah. wh- how how do I do this? Do I do I just like. I just turn off all the SIBO, you know, right when the last stitch is in, or how do I do this? So I they never told us how much of an art like extubation is. Like intubation and putting a patient to sleep is, you know, all square. But I think waking up and especially like the goal of like waking up someone very calmly is like such an art form. And there's so many different ways of doing it. I think like the first day you're just like i just want this person to wake up and it doesn't matter if like they're bucking or like they're you know uh going crazy and you know i would want them to be able to follow commands and now i think like we're much more comfortable with all that stuff but I, yeah i remember those first days it's like no one told us how to wake up <laughs> i think i remember actually calling my my attending and being like hey like I think the case is starting to end. <laughs> Can you come to the room and teach me how to wake this person up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Like as a med student and all that, we're usually out of there by the time everything gets settled in after intubation. And I don't know if I remember ever going back for extubation. So I was like, oh my God, I've never actually stuck around long enough to see it this part yeah. of the case i don't know what, what you're supposed to do now it's like something about taking the tube out i just know that's the end goal <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> all right guys um all right let's move on to the next question so um any interesting cases you uh, came across these past two three months or any scary kind of excrement hitting the fan sort of moments you'd like to share well, I know Kenny probably has a lot. Is our classes? Uh, yeah, to all you audience, our classes black cloud. <laughs> I am a very dark cloud, and uh, I've had storm. A yeah, I basically played straight anesthesia, tornado anesthesia bingo these last few months. Um, I, I, there's two that really are in my mind. Uh, the first one, uh, you know, happened so not this that same day as my first case, but a different day on an ENT service. Um, I we were doing like an extraction of like uh, a growth in the maxillofacial area, and you know everything. The case was going okay, very smoothly. A previously healthy patient uh, just had some nosebleeds every once in a while. And ENT um, was kind of chiseling away at this growth inside the nose. And um, they decided to uh, use like, I, again, I don't know a lot of surgical equipment, but they decided to use like a hammer to kind of help, you know, speed the process along. And they took one swing of the hammer into the, with like, into the nose. And uh, the patient basically like, I just just stopped hearing like a heartbeat on the monitor and I instantly just stood up and I thought initially that like maybe like the EKG lead had fell off because, you know, it was near the neck or something like that, that they swung kind of hard and it just popped off. 
I checked all the EKG leads and there was nothing, there was like, everything was okay. And then that's when I immediately realized that this patient was like in asystole. And like, um, I told the surgeons to come to stop whatever they were doing, uh, turn around immediately, immediately, uh, pushed, uh, that I had on hand glyco and then turned around to start drawing atropine while calling my, uh, attending. And, um, I just told my attending that the patient was going in, like basically went bradycardic initially. Cause you know, I saw it, I pushed the glyco and I don't know if it was the glyco cause I doubt it was working that fast, but the patient became, went from like zero, then went to like, uh, 10, 18, like 30 stayed in like the low forties for a little bit. And I think the glyco started going in as I was drawing the atropine and getting ready to push it, the patient started going up into the fifties. And, uh, I just remember ENT telling me that there were some, there are some nerves in like the maxillofacial area where if you, uh, do, you know, press on it or, uh, cause a lot of pain in that area that, uh, the patient can get a vasovagal response. And I guess it was a pretty extreme basal vagal response. Yeah. To zero. <laughs> wow. To zero, basically. Yeah. Good. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was probably one no. And then I think the the second most interesting case, at least I it may have been like, you know, just the patient being sick, but I had a ERCP prone in the GI room. And this was my first month and you know, my first ERCP. And we had just flipped the patient over prone and uh, the patient began to start bucking against the vent. And then that's when like the patient became very uh, tachycardic and hypotensive. And then the, then the tachycardia started going much, or the heart rate started to go much uh, more down. And that's when I realized the patient was going into cardiovascular collapse. And when I, by the time I called anesthesia stats of the OR, you know, my assumption was that the patient was, uh, had bronchospasms and we had, uh, I started drawing up epinephrine and by the time all the team was in there and telling me what to do. I started, well, I think the first thing I noticed was that the end title was, uh, started to be low and then the peak pressures went way up. And that's when I started bag masking the patient manually and felt a lot of resistance. Um, and yeah, and then so on forth, we paralyzed and re-paralyzed and gave epinephrine and everything like kind of turned around and we actually could end up continuing the case. But that was another uh, freaking moment, basically a bronchospasm leading to cardiovascular collapse. <laughs> wow. Dude, bronchospasms are so scary. Like I had a few of those myself and it's like, even when you're trying to bag and it doesn't go up at like the sats, you're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah right. spasms are scary. Yeah, and then when, we did, when we gave the epinephrine, the patient started to wake up. I don't know. It was like it was like it was like a giant adrenaline rush for him, and he started to kind. Like, he wasn't awake, but like you could tell, he was starting to like do things on his own, move his body and whatnot. But you know, we originally, I originally thought that you know there was some issue with like you know um, uh, a leak. Or that, like, I had like a bend in the pipe or the 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 tubing, but I don't know. It's, everything was straight. Otherwise, <laughs> you could just hear the decrescendoing tone that we love so much. Yeah, yeah right. Dude, the pulse box. <laughs> <laughs> it's just bass notes. What about you, Bowie? 
um i think mine is pretty similar to um yours with the ent case uh mine's is pretty recently it was that guy who got basically into an altercation got beat up got his face rearranged so he had like orbital fractures uh maxillary fractures uh, septal hematoma all that basically every front part of his face uh broken so um i think it was plastics i did the case with um because they were working on both maxilla and orbital floor right usually if they're doing a lafort fracture fix fixation with the maxilla you could do nasal right but they were also working on the orbital floor so you couldn't do nasal either and you had some nasal bone fractures they're like okay well you can't go through the mouth either because they're gonna probably wire the jaw shut afterwards too so like okay so i was talking to other people about it and they're like oh yeah i think you gotta uh do a submental intubation so what the hell and what we basically did was uh, end up being an oral intubation first, but then immediately afterwards they would uh, kind of dissect from the basically the bottom of the jaw here all the way and make, dissect up a hole into the bottom of the mouth. And then uh, we had this reinforced tube that we took from the mouth and then reinserted through the, whole, the new hole to the bottom of the jaw. Um, and we pulled through with a um, uh, a drain, a G, uh, yeah, and then a Penrose drain, and then pulled it out the other side. So now we had this tube coming out the bottom of the jaw, making a curve, and then going down to the trachea. So that was I've never experienced that before. So that was different. Um, wow! And we didn't end up even um, wiring the jaw shut. So I guess I don't know if we. <laughs> <laughs> they really needed to do that, but it's cool nonetheless. Um, and during the closing part, too, uh, when they were kind of finishing their final sutures, uh, the surgeons had also uh, been kind of retracting upwards, you know, against the eyeball, and that caused, like, a ocular cardiac reflex so that he was all of a sudden braided down to, like, the 30s, I believe. And I was like, oh cause a little bit of a sphincter, you know, sphincter clench on my end. Uh, but the atropine was able to save him. So didn't go all the way down to zero in my case, thankfully. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Like, but was that yeah. the one with um, Dr. Trong uh, as you're attending? Because I remember him saying Yeah, like, yeah, I did it with him. Oh, okay, yeah. Because yeah. I was doing yeah. a neuro case uh, uh, at the same time. He's like, oh, man, I have a submental intubation. <laughs> In the yeah, other room, I'm like, exactly. really? <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So that was, yeah, that was pretty interesting. Gotcha. Wow. Um, I The case I had prepared um, is not as interesting as your guys's, but was, I think it's more of like a, a comical sense for, for me. It was just a, a just an ortho case. I think it was like an RIF, the ankle or something. This really big dude, like, you know, this muscular gentleman so then i was like titrating all my anesthetics down and then they're like oh yeah intern's gonna close i was like oh crap <laughs> so, then I, so i was like okay so i want to like you know titrate a little bit slower a little bit slower 
But then this dude, he even at like maybe 0.8 Mac, like he just started waking up. And as I said, he's a very strong dude. So he just ripped both sides of his restraints. And like okay. not not like ripped the Velcro off. No, he like he literally ripped the restraint. And then <laughs> I blast the gas. And then I'm just trying to grab his arms. I can slam a stick of probe. And it's like, sir, excuse me. Can you, can you not? <laughs> it's like, I stop, resisting. Stop, stop resisting the probe. So then I eventually got the got my, my stick and I just, I didn't even know how much I pushed. I just did the palming technique where I just slammed whatever I had. Uh, and then he finally calmed down and then we uh, went from there. But uh, first time I ever seen anyone uh, rip restraints. That was, that was pretty fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Some people can wake up crazy, man. Yeah. And I mean, I always, always thought like the one thing in perspective that I had to change was that like, you know, I went to go stay at a, uh, I went to go to a wedding and I slept at a hotel and I woke up in the hotel and I was really confused on where I was when I woke up. And that kind of gave me a clue to like how patients kind of feel like when they're waking up and there's like, you know, five people looking down at them and asking them to breathe, take a deep breath you know, or open their that's eyes true. and follow commands. And it's like, I can't imagine what that's like when you're coming from a deep sleep and you have no idea where you, in quote, don't know where you are. You yeah. know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Just some dude yeah, just. Never, <laughs> yeah. Never actually had that kind of like, you know, major surgery to be on the receiving end of it either. So. But have you, any of you guys so actually yeah. had surgery and gone under anesthesia? No. The closest yeah, thing I, I, have not, I mean, like, well, wisdom teeth aside, like some nitrous, but like, yeah. I feel like I've never gone into like a, a deep anesthetic from like, you know, for major yeah. surgery. It was definitely wisdom tooth was the closest one. Yeah. And, and most of the time they just inject local. <laughs> you don't really feel anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So thank you for sharing those cases. Uh, now, going to kind of move on to the next question. It's like, now that we are about two to three months into CA one year, like, how do you feel now compared to when we first started? Well, for me, I think throughout the interim year, like, you know, we go in every Wednesday and help set up cases, get it started. Um, you know, I help out and everything, but in my head, I was always like, wow, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do all of this stuff on my own in whatever however many months it was left because you know it's a lot of things that you're multitasking um including like the charting the meds the airway itself listening to the surgeons if what if they need anything look, listening to the vital looking at their uh ventilatory mechanisms all that stuff all at the same time and it's like I don't know how I'm going to be able to manage all that, but I think at this point already, I feel fairly comfortable with at least running through the more bread and butter cases from beginning to end, which is like, I think pretty huge step from just having done this for like two months, two ish months. It's like a, it's like a reprieve when you see like a healthy patient that was like a basic case. You're just yeah, like, it's, a, it's exactly. like a break from like the craziness that comes into our, our county hospital, honestly. Yeah, exactly. 
I, I, I sometimes just crave a nice, you know, lap <laughs> just do your standard induction get them settled in and then you know you're just hanging out for a bit yeah um but yeah like even that kind of case at the beginning of july it would have been pretty um pretty understandably nerve-wracking for you know any new c1 uh for me i think how I feel in, in the beginning, yeah, I think like everyone is scared. I think there's, I don't think there is a seat, and I could be wrong. There is probably a minority of a very small percentage, in my opinion, uh, of anesthesia residents that go into their CA one year like that comfortable. Even if, you know, even our program having three months of anesthesia in an intern year and the last month being like in June so that we can kind of glide into July, I, I still think. July was still like heavy for all of us. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's kind of two things that I took away in these last two months outside of what Bowie said about just feeling good about the cases is that one, I've realized that like kind of to touch on Bowie's point, like with everything going on, you kind of appreciate the little bit of silence that you have when you, when you finally get everything set up. And then I realized that like anesthesia is like driving a car. A lot of our times that like we're doing stuff like our like, you know, figuratively our hind brain, our like back brain is kind of just concentrating on listening and hearing what the surgeons say or, or, or just trying to paying attention to things that change in the vitals. And you're always getting used to like looking at the blood pressure and the heart rate at like a, even a consistent basis. You, You know, now I think we even look at the blood pressure and we almost like start looking at it right as it starts to, you know, check the next blood pressure because we're so used to every three minutes just looking up. And and I say it's like driving because, yeah, driving is not like driving is a very dangerous task, just like anesthesia is because we take a risk every time we get to a car. And at the same time, we do it every day and it's like a menial in, in our mind, it's a menial task. But we're always just looking at the mirrors. We're always looking at like other drivers and we're pressing on the gas, pressing on the brakes. And the reason I think that anesthesia residency can be so tough sometimes is just like we come home every day. We think that we didn't, we kind of, everyone thinks that we kind of sit all day and we don't do any physical labor, but our brain is like constantly working all the time, whether we kind of know it or not. And that's the one thing that's kind of changed in my, my first uh, in my first couple of months. And then the second thing that I was wanted to talk about was that like, um, what changed in my attitude towards anesthesia, uh, lately is not just like that. We're just like helping people get through surgery and, uh, get these life-saving procedures, but that these patients who are like really sick, like ESRD who have, um, chronic pain in their back or their legs, um, or that they have a trouble time breathing and they have heart disease, all these like ailments that cause them pain day after day after day in the hospital. I've realized that I've kind of looked at it now as I'm giving them just a break, a nice sleep from their like, and, and I don't want to say it in the, uh, such a bad way, but their horrible reality that they have, they're like with these chronic diseases. And that's how I kind of treat it now that these patients, I'm just giving them a nice break from their, 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 you know, daily lives. Hmm. Oh, 
That's, I never actually thought of it that way before, but I think like I see where you're coming from. It's uh, it's very difficult for these patients to to live with all these chronic diseases. It's, it's easy for us to kind of say, oh yeah, this is a patient with this, 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 but this is like a person that's actually living through all these like you know these illnesses and 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 things that we're trying to manage. So that that's that's really cool. I haven't ever actually thought of it that way before. Yeah, just giving them a nice break, you know, or vacation. You know, we we joke about it that you know what? Oh, think about your next vacation as they go to sleep. Where do you want to go to vacation? Think about it, and it's like, you know, that means a lot to these patients. Even though we do it every, you know, two or three or four cases a day, like these patients come in and they just want. I, I, I and it changed when a patient just told me, I just want to sleep. I just want to sleep. I just can't, I haven't been able to sleep because I've been always in pain with my leg or my arm or my chest or my head. I've had headaches for multiple days now and I just want to sleep. And that's when yeah. I realized I was like, yeah, I'm just helping them just relax for a little bit. Nice. Yeah. It kind of helps you through about it like that. Yeah. It kind of helps you through residency, <laughs> you know, when you kind of change that I mean, kind of stuff. I get jealous of them sometimes looking at how, how much sleep they're getting. I'm like, wow, I want to I wanna be as peaceful as this guy right now. Dude, the funniest thing is that as residents, we are so tired, but the irony is that we are surrounded by people in bed. Yeah. Especially us. Everyone is asleep. <laughs> Except us. Yeah. How about you, uh, was- that? Uh, yeah. So, um, kind of similar to you guys, I, I've, even though it's only been like two months or so, like, I feel like we made pretty big leaps in our, how comfortable we are in the OR. So in, in like June, July, I put in the tube, I tape it. I'm like, what do I do now? <laughs> so, and then yeah. my, my attendings are like, want to push antibiotics? Like, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> so, um, like now, like, I think, uh, you know, as Kenny said, it's like driving a car. Like we just have our flow now um, that we can get through these, at least these easier cases, like the bread and butter cases yeah. easily. Um, so yeah, that's, I think it's, it's in such a short time. We've, I think we've uh, gotten so much better, but again, there's so much so for us more, uh, yeah. to learn, to get better at, to, uh yeah. even though we made the strides that you know there's always uh more t- more to learn um i think at the b- beginning of it it's not even well it is the medicine obviously but all, a large part of it is also just all the random little things uh non-medical like you know remembering to put your temp in remembering to spike a bag remembering to you know drop certain meds remembering to you know do this and this and that and it's just like building your muscle memory, like, you know, remembering to put your car in drive, remembering to signal when you turn that you need to like move from your active frontal lobe processing to like, you know, subconscious almost where you're doing without thinking about it. That's that helps a lot with the rest of um we'll focus more on the medicine part of it. Definitely agree. All right. So our next question. Do you feel like anesthesia was what you imagined as a med student? Like, is it uh, easy? Is it harder, different? Like, how so? I think that it is much harder than I thought it was going to be um, coming from med school. And, and and it's not an offense against any me- when we were med students or med students now currently interested in anesthesia, but you just have no idea 
how in depth uh, anesthesia is from like a periphery. You know, if you talk to the lay person, everyone just thinks we put people to sleep. If you talk to the general like medical community, we just deal with pain and uh, in quote putting people to sleep. But um, there's so many in anesthetic considerations that we have for patients, and it's not only the medicine, but you know, positioning um, our ergonomics for ourselves, um, like you know, what how we adjust our uh the ivs to where we want it to be so be very accessible and, you know like we're just like macgyvers of the or where we're just like using tape and you know clips and whatever we have you know even the we'll just rest the ivs on like the little uh christmas tree or like things like that or just like trying to make things so that we can see everything and that it's easy transition from one person to the next who's giving us a break uh labeling everything and you know, remembering our narcotics, <laughs> things like that. Like there is just like so many things that we talked about earlier, just being uh, so aware of so many different things. I think it's just, you don't realize it until you're an anesthesia resident and you're by yourself and this patient's life is solely reliable on you. And yeah, definitely the, um, Real, I found out that the real primary instrument for our uh, specialty here is not, it's not your, it's not your uh, laryngoscope, it's not, you know, the drugs, it's tape. It's our primary instrument. (laughs) (laughs) We we use it for so much random stuff (laughs) that... Like, if we didn't have tape, I don't think we would be able to do anesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> like, I Brought think... Brought you by scotch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, that's... Uh, I think that's uh, something for any med students uh, listening into this. Uh, we do throw tape at all of our problems. Like, is our A-line crapping out? We're going to tape it. We're going to tape the hand to make sure it's better. Uh, you know, we have yeah. problems with lines. You're gonna tape it. Uh, the tube is not in. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna tape, tape it. More. <laughs> tape more, exactly. Drapes so, up. You're gonna secure it with tape. Yeah, we don't have the clips anymore, so it's just taped. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, I I agree. Um, I think for me, it is definitely hard. Well, harder than I thought, just because as a med student, you know. You go in there and you're just, you know, excited to get the airway, excited to maybe try an IV. And you're like, okay, cool. Great day. Got my got my little procedures and that's it. But you don't see all the other stuff behind the curtains as you would if you were the sole person in there responsible for all those things. Yeah, it's it's um, honestly the, the the fast thinking. Like making your differential based off of what are you know about the patient and like just like in general, like looking at the vitals and just being able to tell what's going on from like yeah. the information. Of course, like you, there's a lot of things that these different monitors can tell you, but you're like basically looking at every single one of these factors, the sed line, the, the, um, the ventilator, the vitals, and just making it like three or four differentials on why you're having an issue, you know, like yeah. if it's not yeah. uh, related to like, um, a you know a monitor issue and yeah. you know like EKG leads are off or like the blood pressure cuff isn't working. It's like if it is working, then why am I having these issues? You know, 
Yeah, it's all troubleshooting. Yeah, and and it's and it's so acute is what I was kind of trying to point earlier. It's just like it, you make such a decision so fast, you know. And as med students, it's easy to, or I wouldn't say easy, but it is relatively more easy when you have like uh, you're on the floor and you can give medications and see the long term action of these medications over a certain amount of time, but everything that we're doing is like uh, the patient's reacting in 30 seconds and we have to make a quick reaction in less than like five or 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely agree. How can we stabilize the patient to the point where we can think about what we're doing? Yeah. yeah. I think with me, like going from before, I was saying like getting all this baseline stuff into muscle memory so you can think more. Uh, it made, you know, it made the procedures once we got the whole flow of things, made those more fun, you know, be able to get those, be able to think about the troubleshooting more and less stressful, you know, just knowing what to do with each piece of equipment. Um, but it also made the physio- physiology side a lot harder too, because then you discover all this other physiology and the more you know, the more you don't know. I mean, it's like that whole, the curve, figuring out more of the, what you don't know that you don't know into what you know that you don't know. It just yeah. keeps going and going and going. <laughs> it makes you it scared. It, makes you, it honestly makes you really scared. Being like, oh, like, well, I actually don't know what I'm like that much. Cause you find out that next fact and it leads to like eight different other facts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sometimes uh, I take uh, comfort in the fact that, something that i don't know is something that the general anesthesia community also doesn't know like oh okay it's not just me yeah it's just no one knows how this stuff works but it works so we just give it (laughs) (laughs) exactly how about you scott um yeah i definitely think it's uh, a lot harder (laughs) than what i witnessed as a med student because the ones that i was i sat on are generally like uh, relatively healthy elective cases so then like usually things went by really smoothly. So I, I put in the tube and then I just check out after that. I'm just sitting there. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you guys kind of mentioned, like there's so much stuff to, you know, keep in track. Um, and I think the unique part of anesthesia is uh, we're the ones that actually push the meds. Like we put in the lines, you push the meds according to the situation. Because like when we're on the floor, we all we do is we sit behind the Epic and then we put it in an order and then the nurses give it. But like, uh, we just well, bypass all that. Far- goes to pharmacy. They check. Oh, the that's true. Make sure it's right. They call us and tell us that we put in a ridiculous dose and no one ever uses. And we're like, oh, oh yeah. It's like, yeah. Do you want to do this? And and say, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Actually, yeah. July of intern year. I, I those, yeah. those calls pharmacists. If, if for some reason you're you're listening, thank you for preventing me from killing my patients. <laughs> <laughs> or saving, saving a lot of people, saving just us and just like making our lives easier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Um, so we'll kind of move on to the next question. Um, uh, what did you wish you knew before starting CA one year and or like anesthesia residency in general? I took the last question first. So you go first, Paul. Um, I guess this kind of just, uh, popped into my head, but, um, well, I guess this, this kind of also goes towards the advice too, because it's also things I wish I knew is that like, 
with anesthesia itself, um, I think somebody had told me later on that, oh, you know, you shouldn't be sitting down until like the drapes are up because there should be like a lot of stuff to do before then, which kind of uh, was a good reminder of me to like, you know, be very thorough, make sure, you know, everything that needed to be done that was done. Um, and sort of to have like a mental checklist of things that you should be running through for each of your cases. And that's helpful. To, you know, the checklists are helpful and like a pre-flight checklist to make sure, you know, all the important things um, are done and you don't miss out even on like minor things, you know, like forgetting to put a temper open or forgetting to turn on the bear hugger, um, forgetting to, you know, like clamp down the IV a little more so you're not bolusing them a liter accidentally post induction, just all that, all, the, all those kinds of things. Um, so I guess, I guess my what I wish I knew is just to have like that sort of checklist, not just for preparing the room that I didn't know, you know, for med students out there, the MS maids, um, look that up. <laughs> but also after the case starts to a, a second kind of checklist. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Because uh, what I actually started doing is I just had all the stuff I need to do just out on the field from like left to right. It's like I have my intubation stuff. I have my antibiotics, yeah. the Decadron. I have my temp probe there. I have my OG tube. I just have it out. So when I'm looking around, I'm like, Oh, yeah. I think I'm supposed to do I something with this. <laughs> so, so that's that's yeah, what I do now. With, like the OG tubes <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, now I just pull it out and have it on the table, so it's like a visual cue too. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Exactly, exactly. For me, it was <laughs> realizing that you couldn't leave the OR. Like, I mean, surgeons can't do it either because they're scrubbed in, but we physically can't leave because you know we're managing an airway and like all the vital signs and like just not being able to go to the bathroom or like drinking water, you know, eating food. Uh, we're basically mandated to our breaks uh, and our, our lunches. You know, we run, you know, we get 30 minutes for lunch if we're in the middle of a case and, you know, it takes like 10 minutes to walk down, get your food, order it and come back up. You eat your food for like 10 minutes and you got five minutes to kind of reprieve and relax and then walk back to the room uh, within the last five minutes. And so, and then, you know, also going to the bathroom, you know, number one or yeah. number two, you know, it's like, oh, I had, I guess I guess won't eat today because I have to go number two. Um, yeah. So those are little things in, that I kind of wish I knew uh, going before uh, residency is that we are not allowed the luxury of eating while we put in orders and uh, other such things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We like run on uh, basically our time from CA one year onward is runs on OR time at that point. Yeah. You don't get your own time anymore, which was a yeah, I agree. That's a that was Big one time. of the unfortunate realizations for me too. Definitely missed, you know, when I was on medicine or any of those wards specialties or I could you know, put an order and wander down for lunch and take like an hour <laughs> or however long it was, as long as nothing was happening, you know, you could hang out. Yeah, even just eat lunch, lunch while you're sitting at uh, the computer. <laughs> yeah, you run to the bathroom whenever you want. So, yeah. That's actually like something I was going to say too. Like, 
uh, I didn't realize how both mentally and physically taxing it is. Like, again, like we kind of mentioned this before, their per- perception of us, we we're just sitting there. It's like, how could it be tiring? How could it be like, like mentally exhausting? But uh, we, we always thinking about what's the next step. How are we going to like manage a patient if things going, like goes downhill? How am I going to emerge? And like, like Kenny said, like, what if I need to use the restroom after I, I induce? So like, <laughs> so, yeah, <you're> not, <laughs> so you just gotta hold it. There's nothing, there's nothing worse. I'm telling you when rushing for a case and realizing that when you, as soon as you intubate and everything, you start to relax that you realize you have to use the restroom. Yeah. You're like, oh man, I should have went before. And then now like you're trying to like juggle, mentally juggle like your own uh, bodily functions while mentally juggling another person's bodily functions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dude, like I I had this case where I um I was just like doing the potty dance behind the drapes or something. It got to the point I couldn't hold it in anymore. So I had to call our seniors like, can you send someone in? I can't do this anymore. <laughs> So yeah, it's yeah. uh it's like it's something that like as a student we we're, we're as you said like we we're not bound to a room so you can go take a break whenever you want whatever but now like we our responsibility to the patient so we, we can't just pick up and leave so yeah definitely something we wish new wild tip there is just to, anytime you have a break is to always end your break with going to the bathroom so you know you start on an empty tank there exactly. Yeah. All right. Actually, uh, it's a good segue into our last question. Um, you have any advice for any of the uh, interns out there, the clinical base years on either um, the surviving intern year or tips on starting uh, CA one year? Um, I guess for me, I think for uh, regarding for intern year, I think it was nice to keep in perspective that it's basically the entire year is just a massive farewell tour of the rest of the hospital and the rest of medicine that you won't have to be dealing with after intern year, you know, all the rounding, the notes, the orders, all that stuff. Um, and just to kind of appreciate the fact that, you know, <laughs> you won't have to ever do that again unless you want to with, you know, quick care or whatever. Um, you won't ever have to deal with that again. Um, so no matter how, you know, tedious or how tired you are on those rotations, just don't forget that that's probably the last time you'll be doing it. I think the other thing for intern year was I thought just getting into, like what we have been doing, getting into cases every so often, like once a week to help start it was really really helpful to just getting your feet wet and then being able to get your reps in and being able to do all these random things again for the first time like you know spiking a bag all those random stuff that you might not have gotten to do before as a medical student you know setting up an alarm pump all that random stuff just being able to do it once to get your muscle memory and will help a lot help out a lot um, the less first that you have to do in July, the better. Yeah. I think uh, my like advice to like intern to CA1s, specifically interns, is um, if you're a prelim in medicine, 
try to think about how every single one of the pathologies that you deal with in medicine on the floors um, may affect your anesthesia. You know, it doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every week. But every once in a while, think about like, hey, how is this patient's diabetes or how is this patient's, um, you know, body habit It's going to affect my anesthesia? And then if you're a surgery resident and you're dealing less with them, like a little bit less medicine, um, you know, and you're scrubbing into cases, you know, maybe help out in the OR to set up and be like, hey, what can I do to help you out? And what can I what, how can you think about how the patient's positioning is? Like, you're in the OR more than people who are in prelim medicine. So just watch how the anesthesiologist is, like, moving about and, you know, uh, adjusting his table for you and whatnot. And have that perspective going into it when you start your CA one year so that you're not, one, thrown off, and two, that you have a consideration for, like, now everything on the surgical side and anesthesia side and medicine. Yeah, because at the end of the day, as anesthesiologists, we are the bridge, in my opinion, to between surgery and medicine. We take anesthetic considerations of both surgeons, how they're positioned, how their surgery is affecting the physiology, and then we also take consideration of the patient's previous health and past medical history. To mix that with surgery, I think we're just concocting our cocktails based off both those things. Yeah, like I definitely agree with that kind of goes into what I would give as advice for the CPA wise is essentially try to learn as much as you can uh, from those rotations, those officers rotations, like all the medicine, all the, the surgery, because I didn't realize this uh, starting intern year, but all of that is super important when you are doing anesthesia, like all knowing the disease process, like for a patient, like type two diabetes, ESRD, all that stuff that we manage in, in medicine is something we still have to manage in the OR because the diseases don't just disappear magically after we give probe. So, so like being able to manage those, uh, those diseases helps you optimize the patient better, think about your anesthetic plan uh, a little bit better when you uh, grow into say one year. So definitely try to learn as much as you can from intern year, even though we all hated those rotations. That's why we did anesthesia. We don't like rounding. We don't like writing notes. Um, but the core content uh, for those rotations is, is very valuable, I think. All right, guys, uh, any, anything else before we kind of wrap it up? We want to try that one, two, three clap thing before we end. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Ready? Okay. Right, Bowen. Okay. You, you guys right. are ready. Bowen, okay. Let, let Bowen count. Okay. Bowen, you, Bowen, you, go, you count. All, I thought we're all counting at the same time. It's just right, you, you, you start it. You start it. You okay. say ready, set, and then you okay. say you ready, set, one, two, two three, three, clap. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Uh, so thank you guys so much for your time. I think this was a very engaging conversation that uh, many CA1s across the country, the world maybe, uh, can uh, you know, relate to and uh, know that you're not alone in the struggle. Um, so in order to wrap up this uh, conversation, if you have a joke, a fun fact, a pun uh, you want to share, please do. Let's see. Um, I don't really have a, a joke. A fun fact about anesthesia. Um, it can be by anything. 
<laughs> I think that uh, the for me a, a joke slash fun fact is that surgeons uh, really only talk to us about uh, bed up and bed down most of the case. <laughs> Other than that, uh, very little communication sometimes. But that's kind of like uh, something that we we have to strive for, uh, meeting our counterparts uh, halfway and always talking with each other, building the camaraderie. But less of a less of a joke. But it is funny that most of the time we're really quiet until I hear, "Hey, can you turn the patient lateral, please? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit of tilt." <laughs> Yeah, we're professional bed operators. That, yeah. was, that was a that was a part of the job that I wasn't. <laughs> I'm adding that to my resume. <laughs> I went to med school to be a bed jockey. <laughs> <laughs> That's our joke for the day. <laughs> uh, my high tip would be, or when you see a med student sort of doing the closure uh, for a surgery and it's just you know taking a lot longer than you would want to it's you know 7 p.m you want to go home high yield tip would always be to just let them know that you're running out of SIVO and you maybe got like five or ten minutes left before they wake up so that they can kind of you know do their last sutures a little faster you can also make imitate the noise of like just gas escaping too and just then <laughs> to make it more believable (laughs) (laughs) all right and um i guess i'll i'll end with a joke then uh something that i just saw on the uh subreddit dad jokes so the joke is two slices of bread got married the ceremony was going great until someone decided to toast the bride and groom All right, that is it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, uh, Drs. Kenneth Wynn and Bowie Sue, for joining me. Uh, it's been great. And uh, hopefully, we'll have you on uh, sometime in the future. All right. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Thank you, Dr. Scott Wynn, <laughs> for hosting. And, and remember, everybody, everyone, you're, all the residents out there, no matter if you're anesthesia or whatever, uh, you're making a difference. The Dr. Jed Walpaw. Yeah. <laughs> Ending. It's like uh if the you're if you're <laughs> and appreciated. <laughs> Dr. Walpaul, if if you're by some weird reason you're listening to this podcast, I would love to do a collab operation uh episode of you. Um that's like been my dream ever since I started this. But anyways, uh thank you everyone for your time. Peace. All right, gentlemen. So the Zoom meeting time is going to end soon. So, <laughs> so it is so a thing. Let's take a let's take a, take a quick break <laughs> yeah. and to hear from our sponsors Rocky, right now. Brought to you by Dipavan. Dipavan and Sugamadex. That's a plug for us, guys. I wish, man. I wish, I wish. that would be phenomenal.